Okay, we're learning Yuma Daf Nun Beis. Uh, we're starting Nun Beis Medalf, four lines down, Amar Rabbi Naslan. And we're talking about the Amatroxin. So let's just review what we learned yesterday. We're talking about the Kohen Gadol bringing in the Ketores, Lefnaiv Lefim on Yom Kippur. So we have a dispute whether or not there's, how, where exactly he enters. Because uh, in the first place, there was an Amatroxin, an Ama thick wall. Uh, and there was a little entrance in the Amatraxin to get into the Kosha Kadashim. But in the second place of Mikdash, there was no Amatraxin. There was no Amat thick wall separating the Kosha Kadashim and the, and, and the Kodesh. According to Tanakama, Rabbi Yehuda, there was therefore two Parochasis, one on the, that was separated by one Amma, and there was just a gap, a space between them. The outer one, the eastern uh, curtain, was, had a southern entrance. It was, it, was, uh, it was kind of like open on the southern tip. And then the Western one, that from one further in, was open on the northern tip. As Rabbi Yossi holds, he denies the whole thing. Incas had divide, it never happened that way. And the second place, they simply had one paroches, and there was an opening on the northern tip. And we saw yesterday that make, might make a big nafkamina about the way that the Kohen Gadol is walking, what direction, what part of the Heichel is he walking? Is he walking in the northern part or the southern part, exactly on the northern, along the wall, between the Mizbech and the Shofa, and so on and so forth. All right, so now the Gemara tells us more about this. Amar of Nelson, Amatraxin, this Amar wall, dividing wall between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. Chachamim, they were building the second base of Mikdash, were unable to figure out what it was. Was it part of the Kodesh HaKadoshim or part of the Kodesh? And that's why they had to make the two parochases. So what's the shot? They didn't know what it was. So the simple understanding would be that they didn't understand the measurements. In other words, we know what the measurements of the base of Mikdash are. We know how big the Kodesh Kodashim is and how big the Kodesh is, but we're not sure if the wall is part of the interior of the Kodesh Kodashim or part of the interior of the Kodesh. That would be the simple shot. Moscow, Ravina, my time, how could there be such a thing? Maybe it's the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Vabayas, Asher Bano Shlomo Hashem. In this house, the base of Mikdash that Shlomo built for Hashem, Shishim Amarko is 60 Amas long. We say long, what does it mean east to west? The Esrim Rachbo. It's 20 Amos where it's width, going north to south. Shloshim Amakomas with 30 Amos where it's height. That's those are the dimensions. So we see that there's 60 Amma length between the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadash. Okay, sounds good. Uksiv, and we have another passage that says, Rabbam Amahaya Bayez, who Ahechel Lefana. The Hechel, the base Mikdash was 40 Amos long, meaning the Hechel in front of me. So the Hechel. Just the Kodesh section was 40 Amos. Uchsev, and another Pasuk says, Behind the Dvir, the Dvir is the, is the Mechitza, the dividing wall. Esrim Amma is 20 Amos, Orech of length. Esrim Amma Rochav, Esrim 20 Amos of width. The Esrim Amma Kamaso, and 20 Amos of height. So the Pasuk, we know it's 60 Amos total of length. And we know the Hechel is 40 Amos. And we know the Kodesh Hashem is 20. So now, obviously, 40 plus 20 is 60. So where's the Amma traction going? Obviously, it must be part of the space, either of the 20 or of the 40. We don't know. That's what must be what's going on. We're not sure if the Amatraxim is part of the 40, and therefore it has the din of Kodesh, or if it's part of the 20, it has the din of Kodesh or Kodesh. If that's what's going on, so you could say back a very simple taino. You could challenge the premise. Who says that the Pasuk, when it says that it was 60 hours long, is including the thickness of the wall? So maybe <clears throat> we're bringing up the possibility that actually the Amatraxin is not part of the 40 and it's not part of the 20 either. And the Pasuk, which says that it was 60 long, it's just, in, it's just because it's talking about the dimensions of the open space 
but it's not talk, talking about the area where the walls are. So maybe really, if you would measure uh, the interior, it really, if you would include the Alma wall, it would really be 61. It's just that the Pasuk is only talking about open space that was usable, not parts that were occupied by the walls. So therefore, that's why it said it was 40. So maybe it's actually 100% not, for sure not, the Kodesh Kadashim, according to this. It's for sure not. It was, a, it was a partition, it was a buffer, and it's neither. It's clearly, it's clearly not, not the Kodesh Kadashim. It doesn't mean that it means it's part of the 40. Maybe it's not part of the 40, not part of the 20, and it's just a buffer zone between them. And the Pasuk simply was, wasn't counting it because the Pasuk only counts open space. The Pasuk does not count the space of the walls. Now, maybe you're going to say that's a strange thing for the Pasuk to leave out. In other words, maybe you'll say the Pasuk shot is, Pasuk's telling you if you stand here and go till there, it will be 60 amos away. Not that the amount of usable space was 60 amos. So Ravina therefore brings a proof that we find sometimes that is true, that we don't count, when we're talking about the dimensions of something, we don't count the area that's occupied by the walls. Let's prove it. Whenever this, we talk about the, the spaces that were occupied by the walls of the Beis Mikdash, we see that that ama that by the by the walls counted separately from the forty and the twenty. Where do we see this? Ravina is going to show that whenever we want to show the dimensions of the Beis Mikdash and we want to include the walls, we specify the walls, and yet we still um, we still and and, and we, 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 whenever we want to say it, including the walls. He does not include the Amma, the Amma, the, the, this Amatraction as part of it. In other words, he lists it separately. He doesn't just say it's part of the Kodesh or part of the Kodesh Kodashim. He lists it as a separate entity. So Ravina is proving that in terms of dimensions of 60, it's not part of the 40, but part of the 20. It's its own thing. Where do we find the time to this? Ravina, again, is proving that it's, it's, it's really its own dimension, its own space. Because it's not, we look at a Mishnah, a Mishnah Midos. So this Mishnah Midos is really just talking about the entire um, structure of the Beis Mikdash. We're going to learn a few things along the way. So it says in the Mishnah, so we're talking about the whole Hechel, the whole Beis HaMikdash um, site. So it's 100 Amma by 100 Amma, Amma with the height of 100 Amma. So we're talking about the second Beis HaMikdash. And we're talking about this much bigger. Looks like the Inshallah Beis HaMikdash. The wall of the Ulam, remember the Ulam is right, right by the, um, right by the Azar. That's the way you get in. So it's like a chamber that you go through until you get to the, to the actual coder section. So the wall, the outside wall, had a thickness of five amos. It was five amos thick. Um, and again, we're saying that it was, uh, it was, it was whatchamacallit, the, um, the, the 40 amos, the, four, the, the 100 amos high wall. So how thick was it? Five amos. So ulam achasre, the actual ulam itself, is 11 amos going across. So we're measuring here, what we're doing is we're going east, we're starting from the easternmost part, and we're going all the way west. So we're saying it was five amos thick for the wall. Then 11 amos was the in, to get across the interior of the ulam. Then the wall to get into the heichol, to get into the actual kodesh section, section was six amos thick. The length of the heichol itself was four amos, 40 amos. Then the amatraxin. This is the part that we want. After the 40 amos comes the amatraxin, the thickness of that amo. And then the esim amos based kodesh kodashim. Then the 20 amo length of the kodesh kodashim. The, the western wall of the Heichol is six amos thick. So this is talking about, in other words, right behind the Kodesh HaKadoshim, they have a, a six ama thick wall. That's the western wall of the Heichol. And then the Ta, which is some sort of, it's like compartments that were built beyond the Kodesh HaKadoshim, was, um, was another six amos across for Kotzal. 
I'm sorry, right? And then the wall behind it was five amas thick, and that was the back, the back end of the whole thing. So bottom line is, when we're talking about the cheshben, here in, 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 in Mishnah Midos, we're talking about the cheshben going from east to west, so we count everything, and if you notice, one of the details was, it's 40 amas of the heichol, 20 amas of the kodesh HaKadoshim, and in between them, it counts the amas of the troxin. So clearly, it's an additional amas, makes sense, and then we need it that way in the math, to get the 100. So how could it be that the Chachamim have a suffix about the Amma of space when the, when the Tan is describing the second place of Mikdash, he clearly describes that it's not part of the Cheshmer. So initially we said we were, we were confused about the Pasuk, whether, whether it was saying that it was part of the Kodesh 40 or part of the 20 Kodesh HaKadoshim. We're trying to figure out if it's part of the 20 or part of the 40. But now we're saying it's clearly neither. It's clearly its own separate division between the 40 and the 20. And there's actually an extra Amma of space. So if that's true, so what's going on? The Martin Rao switches his explanation of what the Safik is. We know in terms of dimensions that it's not part of the 40, not part of the 20, 100%. We can see that point. It was his own Amma space between them. But that's exactly what brings us to a new question. What's the din of the Kedusha of that spot? It's not between the Kodesh, it's not the Kodesh Kodashim, it's between them. So is it, does it have, does it have the Kedusha of the Kodesh, does it have the Kedusha of the Kodesh Kodashim? So we have a Safik about it. And therefore, what do we do? So he sections it off with two curtains. We didn't want to. We didn't want to leave it to either one. If we would just use one curtain, one thin curtain, what are we going to do? It would therefore be left to the either the kosher, the kosher kadosh. Now you could ask a question right away. Why do you have to leave it open? Why didn't we make an amma thick curtain? Tosis talks about that. Like why? It sounds like again. Why? Why don't we build a wall? First of all, let's just keep it simple. Why don't we build a big wall? Because the base of was too tall to, to to have such a t- high wall that was only one amma thick. Okay, the second base of wouldn't fit such dimensions. Second base of had to be bigger. It seems like. The Navi does describe that as being a bigger, it's going to be a bigger structure. So therefore they had this idea that it's supposed to be bigger and stronger. So if the walls are going to be taller, so they wouldn't support one ama wall, thickened wall that was so tall. Okay, so very good. So now you're not going to do that. For some reason, you're not going to build a curtain that's one ama thick. So therefore we end up just sectioning it off by building two, two curtains, one on either end. Okay, so now that we got what's going on, we finally understand what it means that Chacham have a suffix. It means that Chacham have a suffix. Not in terms of what the Pasuk is saying, but in terms of what the Kedusha is. And now the Gemara says, Yossi, who is from Hutzal, the Shail about the Pasuk, this Mechitza, the Dvir, the partition within the, within the base of Mikdash, towards the inside, Heichin, he prepared, to prepare the Aron of Hashem. This is the Pasuk here. In Malachim, so he bailu, he declared, "Hechi kamar kra." Where do you put the comma here? Is it udvir besocha bais? Doesn't mean Shlomo made a dvir within the house. In other words, he divided it into two parts. Mi pnima hechin lesitin sham. And new point towards the inside, beyond where the mechitza was, he made the kodesh hakadoshim to put the arum. If that's the way it is, then clearly it's a separate entity. It's two different phrases. Number one, he made a mechitza. Number two, inside of the wall, he prepared the Kodesh HaKadoshim to put the Aaron there. So clearly the Dvir itself, it does not have a din of the Kedusha of the Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's one way of reading the Pasuk. That's all if you put the Kama after Udvir. Uh, uh, Udvir B'Soch Abayis. Kama. After Abayis, rather. So you make a big Kama, and then, or you could say, or Dvir B'Soch Abayis, Mipnima, you don't put the comma after a bias. It's after Mipnima, so you say that there's the Pasuk is saying Mamash to the contrary. The Machitz that's within the base of Mikdash, Mipnima towards the inside. In other words, that we're talking about the word Mipnima is describing the Dvir. This Dvir that was put inside, in Bezoch Habayas is Mipnima, it's towards the inside, meaning it was given part, the same thing as the Kodesh HaKadashim where he was making 
for the Kodesh, for, for, for the Aaron of, of Hashem. So depending where you put the comma, you get a different meaning here in the Pasuk. That's what's going on. And Rabbi Yossi from Hutzel had a suffix about it. It's exactly the suffix of what the Rabbanan and the Sakhim Beis Mikdash were unsure. If we know that it has definitely occupying a separate Amma from the Kodesh and from the Kodesh HaKadosh. But the question is where we're left in the Kedusha. And as it boils down to, it's a question of how you read the Pasuk. If it's a Dvir Vesoch bias, comma. Then, by the way, inside of that, then it doesn't have Kedusha Kodesh HaKadosh. Whereas if you read it, we gave it the same thing as what's inside of it, which was that it's the place that's prepared to hold the Aaron Hashem. Okay, so we have a suffix where we put commas and psukim. So the Gemara says, is that true? Could it be that Yosef from Hutzah had a suffix about where you put the comma on a pasuk? Now we have a comment from someone before we had Yosef from Hutzah, now we have Isi ben Yehuda. We're going to see the, the same. So, anyways, he had a, the price that says he has a chamish mikros patari in them There are five sukkim in the Torah where we're not sure where to put the pasuk, where to put the comma on the pasuk. Very important thing, we don't understand the grammar. There are five times in the Torah where there's a, a phrase, and we're not sure if it's part of the words that were said earlier or part of the words that are said later. What are the five phrases? Number one, se'es. So, this is the pasuk with kain, right? The pasuk with kain. Um, it says in the pasuk, right? He starts, right? Why are you so down? Afterwards, and then he gives him the mustard. So one way to understand it is So the comma is after seis. It's it's part of the phrase with alom teitiv. So if you read it that way, then seis means you'll be you'll get kapara. Alom seitiv. Hello, if you do good, seis, then you'll get kapara. Fine. So that's one way of reading it. But the other way of reading it is hello imtetiv. Hello, you can do better. Comma. And the, and the implication being, and then you won't be sad. But you will bear your sin if you don't do good. So se'es is read together with the next words. Makes it a little bit tricky with the vitim, but that's evidently the possibility of reading the Pasuk that way. And it's funny because it's, it's, it really has a different meaning. It also has a different translation. Does se'es mean to be, like, to be forgiven? Or does se'es mean that um, you're going to bear? Like, it's like, being forgiven or bearing, bearing your sin. It's much opposites. It's a fascinating thing that we just don't know where to put the comma and the pasuk can be interpreted so differently. Then we have another example, Mishu Kadim. So this is talking about the menorah. The menorah says, I'm a menorah, Arba Gvim. So there were the, the, the cups on the menorah. And then we say, Mishu Kadim. There's a word that says that they were like almonds. There was engravements on them, right? Like the almonds. Kaftarel, prachel, for the knobs and the flowers. So the question is, where is the word mishukadim? Is it going on the cups or is it going on the knobs and the, and, and the flowers? So we know what the word, at least in this one, we know what mishukadim means. Mishukadim means, yeah, it had an engraving looking like almonds. So the question is, is it describing what was said before or describing what was said after? Then we have machar. So this is by the Pasuk in the end of Parshas Bishalach. It says, Let's go fight Amalek. Let's say, so the question is, where do I put the comma? You could say that machar is part of what was said earlier. It's machar. Go tomorrow, fight Amalek. Meaning Moshe is telling Yeshua today that tomorrow he should go out and fight Amalek. That's one way of understanding it. The other way of understanding it is go right now and fight Amalek. Tomorrow I'm going to go and daven for you. What in the world would the Pshad and that be? Go fight a Malik today. Tomorrow I'm going to daven for you. So Rashi says a Mardika thing. He's saying, Tomorrow I'm going to daven. Today you don't need my tefillahs. It's an unbelievable Pshad. 
Right? We, know, we would never have interpreted it that way. We always know, right, everyone's looking at Moshe, the Pasuk says. So what in the world would the Pshat that, and that be such an interesting thing, that the Gemara is saying maybe Machar is part of the end of the Pasuk. Seems like a difficult thing. Um, okay, the idea that the Balad Moser always say behind this, that in this side of the Gemara, that Machar is going with tomorrow, is that, is that the Koach, the fight against Amalek, is with this idea of Machar. Its idea is, want to know why you're going to win today? You're going to win today because we're planning for tomorrow, davening. Amalek doesn't believe in tomorrow. That's the whole thing. Machar is always, whenever you're dealing with Amalek, we're always fighting against him tomorrow. Esther is always inviting the party, Machar, 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 Machar. Jews fight today because they believe in it tomorrow. If you don't believe, you believe everything is a haphazard, coincidence, mikra, purim, then there's no machar. So the very instructions that he gave to Yoshua is, go fight now. There's a plan. We're doing this for a reason. Okay. Aror. Then we have Aror. This is in the Pasuk by, um, when, when, by Shimon and Levi, by the, when, from Yaakov's deathbed. So what's the Pasuk? Shimon and Levi, Acham, Achim, their brothers, Bi'apam, Harguish, Rishonimikrushar. Then the Pasuk says, Aror Apam Kiyaz. So if Aror is beginning of a new phrase, it's Aror Apam, then he's cursing the, 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 the anger, their anger. But you could also say it's going back on the other thing, and it's talking about the Shar. Rishonim Ikrushar, Aror. They took away the Shar, which is cursed, which is a reference to the city of Shem. That the cursed people, because right, they, they, they were cursed after the story of Noah, the slaves. All right, then Vikam, and they'll get up. So, this is talking about the, the very end of the Torah by Moshe Rabbeinu. Basic says, You're going to lie with your forehead, you're going to die. Vikam, people are going to get up and go sin. So, you could say it's the beginning of a new phrase Moshe, you're going to die. Kama. The people will then get up and go do Avodazar. That's one way of understanding it. Or you could say that it's actually talking about Tchiyas Amesim. And the Pasuk saying, You will lie with your fathers and then you will get up. And it's actually a reference to Tchiyas Amesim. So, anyways, in all of these places, we're not sure where to put the Kama. Okay, what does that have to do with us? So, there are five Sukkim in the Torah that we don't, the Isi ben Yehuda says, we don't know where to put the commas. What does that have to do with us? But Tanya says in another bride, so who Yosef is Yosef These two people are the same. Yosef, the leader from Hutzal, is also the same person as Yosef Abavli, Yosef ben Yehuda, who is also called Yosef ben Yehuda, who is ben Korai, who is also called Yosef the son of Korai, who is ben Gamliel, who is ben Mahalo, Umashmo, what's his real name? Yosef ben Akiva Shemo. So bottom line is, we have two people. Yosef Yehuda was the person that we said before, didn't know the meaning of the Pasuk in Malachim. If the Pasuk in Malachim was indicating that the Amitraktim was part of the Kodesh Kadashim's Kedusha or not, he had a suffix about that. Problem is, he's the same person of Yosef ben Yehuda, who has five psukim that we're not sure about. And this was not one of them. He has five other psukim. So if you say there are five psukim that we don't know where to put the comma, clearly the rest, we do know where to put the comma. So something is off. How can we have a suffix about where, the, where to put the comma in the Pasuk and Malachim if this very same person is saying that we only have a suffix for five psukim in the Torah? So the Gemara answer is a very simple thing. Bidar, I saw in the Torah, the five books of the Torah, Leka, there's not any more. You're right, there's only five spakos. But the Nevi, if you go to the Nevi, Amikva, there could be many more. So he only specified that there are five psukim in the Torah. We're not sure about where the kama in achinami. There might be more additional psukim that come in nach, but we're not sure about the kama as well. All right. So now the Gemara just is on a tangent. It says the Gemara, leka. What? There's no other psukim. There's no other psukim in the Torah where we're not sure about the kama. But What about Reb Chisla's question? So this is the pasuk by um, in Mishpatim where they're where they're bringing kabanas. So it says Vayishlach Reit is Nair Bnei Yisrael Vayalu Olos. So it says that they brought Karbanos Olos, shlamim, and they're bringing Shlamim. And then it says, Parim, that they were bulls. So the question is, 
How do you read it? Is it and the olos were not parim. The olos were a different type of animal. You'll say, this is not part of the Pasuk, this is the Gemara interpreting. You'll say they're a different type of animal. You'll say what an ola usually is, that they were kvasim, that they were lambs. And then the Pasuk continues, and they brought shlamim, which were parim, which were bulls. That's one way of understanding it. That's if you make a big emphasis on the comma. You break it up into two phrases. They brought olos, comma, those were their own entity, and they also brought shlamim, which were bulls. O dilma, idvidi parim. Or perhaps both of them were parim. And the pastor gave to read it all together. They sent Arab and Israel and they were brought olos and shlamim, la ashem, and those olos and those shlamim were both parim. So anyways, we see that there's an additional pasuk where we don't know where to put the comma, which makes a big difference for us in terms of whether those olos were were uh or whatchamacallit, we're uh we're parm or not. Now the question is who cares, right? Normally we say that that like the psukum have to have some meaning, like what's this grace of suffolk? So Shana is an interesting thing here that it makes a difference in the pshat in the in the trup, whether there's an asnachta afterwards. Right? Is it vayalu alos? Is it vayalu alos? But then asnachta, because when we say we don't know where to put the kama, that's another way of saying you don't know what the trap is. Because if there were, if if the mesorah was that there was an asnachta under olos, then clearly you're supposed to break. So if there was an asnachta there, then there shouldn't be any question. So it must be that the gemara really has some suffix about the um, some suffix about the the the, the trap itself. At any rate, the Gemara says, yeah. I mean, you can't ask a contradiction from two different people. Maybe one person had a suffix and one person didn't. So Isben Yudah only listed five, and Rav Chista had an additional question. That doesn't bother us. The only reason we were bothered before is because it was the same person, right? That's what was throwing us off. All right, now we get back to the Seder of Yom Kippur. So remember, we said, at least according to Rav Yudah, the Tanakhama, that there were two curtains with that Ama buffer zone. So Achitzona, the outer one, the outer one meaning the one closer to the Kodesh, the eastern one. It had this opening, it's pinned back on the south side. Upnimis on the inner curtain, the western one, to get actually into the, into the Kosher Kadashim, the entranceway is on the north. So what does that mean? That means you come in in the south and you walk all the way up to the north in that Amam So he comes in, he enters the south side, he goes, walks along the Amma zone until he gets to the, to the opening on the north side. He gets up and he gets to the, own, to the entering of the north side, the entrance on the north side. What does he do? Hope part of He faces towards the south. So in other words, what's he doing? He's going towards the middle of the room, right? That's the point. He's going to go to the middle of the room. And we just learned before in Amadav, it's a 20 by 20 room. But remember, somehow the, the Aron doesn't occupy any space. It's like a big miracle. It doesn't occupy any space. We learned about that back on Davchav. But he's basically going towards the middle of the room to the Aron. The Aron was kept in the middle of the room. So and he's walking along the parochas to his left. He's left. Until he gets to the poles of Aaron. He gets to the poles of Aaron. He puts down the coals between the two bottom, between the, the two poles. Remember, the Aaron was always left with the poles on. So what happens? He heaps a whole pile of the Ketoros on top of the coals. Now remember, the Mishnah is leaving out a very integral point. We learned this on Bryce on Daf Memtas. The Mishnah actually is fascinating. The Mishnah really omits it. And it's a glaring, conspicuous absence. He has to do something else. He's got to do another chafina. Remember that? It's a whole tricky thing, one of the hardest avodas to ever do in the base of Mikdash. He's got to get the contents of the ladle flipped up with his teeth or his, or his, or his fingertips back into his uh, hands and then use his hands to put the ketores onto the, um, onto the coals. But the Mishnah actually omits that. The Mishnah just simply says he puts down the coals and then he pours, he makes a big pile of the of the Ketores on top of the coals. And then eventually it gets filled 
uh, filled with smoke, which is all part of the pasuk. It's an important thing. He has to remain there until it's filled with, uh, filled with smoke. Then what happens after that? Yatsa, he leaves. He walks backwards, meaning this is the idea. He's never going to turn his back on the Arab. So he walks backwards. He's just reversing his steps back to the, to the, to the northern side. And he goes out. And he would daven a little tefillah in the outer chamber. So where does he daven? Does it mean he davened in the one ama? Or does it mean he davened in the heichel? So Rashi here says that he davened in the heichel. Interesting thing. Reading the Mishnah, somebody might think that he davened by the, that he davened in the, in the, the one ama. But he davened, no, a special tefillah was done in the heichel. It wasn't a long tefillah, in order not to make the Jewish people scared. They were always scared if something was happening to the Kohen Gadol because they... They, they, all of the tzedukim who didn't do the avodah right. We'll learn about that machlokas tomorrow. So at any rate, Klai was always scared. So in order to not to, not to, to, not to keep them waiting in their anxiety, so he, he, he wanted to daven along tefillah. What in the world is this tefillah? We'll see. It, this isn't a vidoy. This isn't a din in the Torah. This is a new thing for the Kohen Gadol to daven after the Torah. Well, well where, where's the makam for that? We'll, so we see that? we'll see about that in the Gemara. Fine. So the Gemara wants to know what Beis HaMikdash are we describing here, here in the Mishnah. But my asking on what Beis HaMikdash are we in? Elim HaMikdash if the Mishnah is describing the first Beis HaMikdash, we have a parochas. There was no parochas, right? There was the wall. The Amatraxim. El HaMikdash Clearly, we're talking about the Beis HaMikdash in the second one. But the problem is, it says he got to the Aron, the Badim, we have Aron. There was no Aron at that time. It says in the Bride's Mishnah, he does Aron. When the Aron was hidden away. So this is the time towards the end of the first base of Mikdash. Nignos, Yimots, and Senes Haman. All these things were hidden away with it as well. The jar that held the mun, right? This was the... Moshe was told to put away the mun for the future. The whole story with the Yirmiya, giving muster to the people, not believing in Hashem. Slochus Shemen HaMishcha, the flask of the oil. Moshe Rabbeinu, the special Shemen HaMishcha, one time in Jewish history. And it was, it was hidden away. Makalusha Aaron, the staff of Aaron, for this is in the, right, the aftermath of the rebellion of Korach, there was a nace that happened. So it sprouted, right? It's, it's, it's blossoms, it's fruit. Shkedeha uprachaha. So it's an interesting thing. You see that those things still remain. There's a famous taste of Shishonim here. Um, he asks, Tamahani, if you see it, it's like the second to bottom one. It's just super famous. Right? Normally we assume, the Pasuk says, right, it blossomed and then produced it produced blossom and then it produced the almonds. So when a tree, what happens? When it blossoms and then it produces almonds, so after you see the almonds, you're not going to see blossoms, right? Blossoms develop into almonds. Here, the language of the Brisa is the staff of Aaron, its blossoms, and its almonds. So it sounds like you're seeing blossoms and almonds at simultaneously. How can such a thing be? So he says, He says, both remained. It was both. Very interesting thing. What's the significance of that? That the, Aaron, that, that, that the staff of Aaron was left with both. Okay? And the box that the Aaron sent as a present to Hashem. So this is the idea, the whole thing. They took out the Aaron once. They shouldn't have taken it out to war. It was captured by the Plishtim. And that was really the end of Mishkan Shiloh. The end of Mishkan Shiloh was during this battle when it was captured. And then there was a whole thing. They got these, these, got these horrible hemorrhoids and this pain. And the Plishtim sent back... Um, they were told to, to, to send back the Aaron as with like a, a sign of, you know, like a peace tree. And, the, and they sent a gift along with it. And there was a special, a special box next to it. So, so this was always kept with the Aaron. And uh, that was also Nignaz. Shanema, it says in the Pasuk, take the Aaron of Hashem, 
and the golden object that they sent back as an offering, a guilt offering, to Simo Ba'argaz, and they'll place in a box next to it. Shalat Mosav Halach, and they send it, and we'll go. Fine. Who did all these things about being Goniz Arun? Who made such a bold decision? Yoshia Ganazo was King Yoshia. Yoshia was a huge Sadik, right at the end of the first base of Mikdash, towards the end. Um, he came from Menashe, but he was a huge Sadik. He, he, got, he got them to do a lot of tshuva. So, why did he do such a thing? Marasha Ganzo. Rosh HaKasav, he said, it, he saw the Pasuk, it says in the Tokacha, Yolech Hashem Oskavas Manchash HaTakam Allah. That Hashem is going to lead you and your king, that you'll set up a view to, to, to Gullah. So in other words, he learned from the Tokacha about exile. So he realizes, uh-oh, if we're going to go to exile, what's going to happen to the Aaron? It's going to fall into the wrong hands. Who knows what they're going to do with it? So Amaru Gnazo, he made the bold decision that... Um, to just be going, he said to Levim, who were holy to Hashem, he said to them, put the Aaron in the base of Mikdash that Shlomo built, if you're no longer going to be carrying it, not go serve Hashem and the people of Klai Yisrael. So meaning, until then, the main avoda Levim, what does the Pasuk say? That they should be, their, their avoda is to carry the Aaron. And he's saying to them, basically, your job is over, guys. It's all over now. Now your job is just to be Serving Hashem and the people, teaching them Torah, whatever, singing, whatever you do in, this, in the base of Mikdash. But that's it. You're no longer giving your job of the Aaron, the Aaron's going away. And we'll see in the Gemara, a lot of Machloks, and where was the Aaron placed. But the bottom line is, what do we see? We see that the Aaron was hidden away towards the end of the first, of the first base of Mikdash. Omar Abulazar, how do we know that everything else was hidden away? Maybe it was only the Aaron? Because at Yashama Shama, we learn of the word from the Shama. Because, because if it says with the Aaron, I'll meet with you, Shama. And so we see the word used. And by the jar of the man, it says, you should put there, Shama. And we see that they're connected. So if the Aaron's there, the man is supposed to be there. If someone's going to make the decision to, to, to hide the Aaron, then, then, then you should hide it as well. So it's interesting because although we're saying Yoshia was the one who did it, it really comes out that the Xer Shava was kind of alluding to this because what's the din of the Xer Shava? That they're always to be together. Well, why would they not be together? It said, put it by the Aaron. It's coming to tell us that if the Aaron's ever nignaz, you should be going the, the, the man with it. So we actually have an allusion to the, to the Geniza in the Psukim. Doros, the same thing with the oil. We learned the Xer Shava of Doros. It says Doros both by the, um, by the man and by the, the oil. When we learn for the, the, for the staff of Aaron, we have a Xer Shava of Mishmaris. This is again by the, from the, from the Mun to the staff of Aaron. So just as the Mun was Nignas, so to the staff of Aaron was Nignas. So anyways, we have a Kasha. What's the Mishnah describing? If the Mishnah is describing the first base of Mikdash, it's Shver. There's no Paruches, there's Amatraxer. And if the Mishnah is describing the second base of Mikdash, there's no Aaron. So the Marian says, Lolomim, Tashini, we're talking about the second base of Mikdash. My Gil Aaron, what does it mean he reached the Aaron? Mak of Aaron. It just means the place where the Aaron once stood, but actually there was no Aaron there. It says, it says he put the shovel between the poles. So there's no poles. It says the same thing. He put it in the, in the place where what was the same, where the poles were, when the poles were there. But actually, we're talking about the second place of Mikdash, when there were no poles at all. And we'll learn coming up what was replaced, what, what about the Evanashasiya, some rock which was there instead of the Aron. But does not, the mission does not mean literally that there was an Aron there. Then we said, He heaps the Torahs on top of the coal. So, Tanan, we learned in our Mishnah, command like the view that the Kohen Gadol heaps it. So, this is going back to what we learned a couple of ago. We learned that there's a question does the Kohen Gadol do a large pile of Torahs, or does he do like a thin layer across the coals? 
And what's the question? The question was, are you trying to create smoke in it quickly? Or are you trying to delay it? One opinion is you should delay it so the coin Gadol is not choking from the smoke. The other thing is that we don't want the coin Gadol remaining in the Kosher Gadol too long, so we, should, we, should, we want to accelerate the process of getting the smoke. So a thin layer will cause it to burn quicker and the, and the smoke will come. So we see in our Mishnah, the Lashon was sover a So you have like a heaping pile. So we see like the opinion that it was a heaping pile. Says the Gemara Tani we have two different ways of the way he would do it. One opinion says sover penima shichutzlo. Right, you've got a pile of coals. So where do you pour it? So one opinion says that you go furthest away from his body and then you you start pouring and as you pour you get you bring it close you bring the pile closer to you and Tanani Yidach says to the Bryce, it's just the opposite. You start heaping on the inside, what's closer to you, and then you start gradually extend your hand outwards, farther away from you. So we see two different, we see two different ways how he puts the Ketaris on the coal. So we have to say it's we can't resolve it. It must be just that it's a dispute. So which one is more reasonable? It's more reasonable like the opinion that uh, you put, you start with the one, the inner one that's away from him, um, you're starting on the side closer to the arm, which is further away from him, and then he's gradually bringing his hands closer to his body. Why? Did not because we learned it in the Mishnah. We learned this back. I'm sorry. There's a Mishnah in Talmud. It says Malamdano. So they would teach the Kohen how to do the the Kitaris. They would say, "Hizar, be careful." Top of the Medalav not to begin the putting the Torahs from what's closer in front of you. Always start from what's further away from you and then gradually bring in. Why should you be careful? Because we don't want you to be burned, right? If you're going to start from what's closer to you, it's already, it's already the fire's already leaving. So then as you extend your hand outwards, your hand's in danger. So that doesn't make sense. So rather, for, before you pour anything down, stick your hands out, then drop further away from you, and then quickly pull your hands in, and then bring it gradually further in. So although it's a machlug, it's an interesting thing here. Abai is saying, practically, from a safety's perspective, we see that the mission on Talmud was concerned with the Kohen Gadol's safety. It seems to be that he, was, he would start with the part that was further away from his body and gradually bring his hands further inside. Shkoyach.